So let's look at Genesis chapter 38, uh, verse 1, uh, together. This is the word of the Lord. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain uh, Adulamite whose name was Hurrah. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into uh, he went, took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in uh, Kazib uh, when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of, Judah, uh, wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friend Hurrah, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the, road, uh, on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she, was cover, uh, for she had covered her face. He turned, to hear, uh, he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. And he said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by them. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. Then Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to take uh, back the pledge from the widow's hand. Um, uh, from the, uh, he did not find her. He asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute that was at a name at the roadside? And they said, no cult, cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of this place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, he sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, uh, there were twins in her womb. 
And when she was in labor, uh, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Woo! All right. See what we got. Let's pray together. (laughs) Our Lord, um, we thank you that in your word we find stories, words, people that we would not expect to find there. We find you talking about things that we would not expect you to talk about. And in these surprises, um, we are surprised by your goodness and your grace and that you are not like us. I pray that you would uh, take these strange words that are so foreign to us here in Bellingham in 2013 and that your spirit would uh, translate them into our lives and that through these words you would draw us to yourself. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, um, uh, this week, uh, last week, we began looking at, at uh, the book of Genesis. And one of the things I mentioned last week is that, you know, if you have ever picked up the Bible and just said, you know, I'm going to read through the Bible, and you start reading through Genesis, you're ex- what you're expecting about the Bible, it's this holy book, is that you're going to find people that are kind of heroes moral heroes, that you're going to say, now that's someone, I, that, I should be more loving, I should be, pray more like that person. And you, you're going to be inspired by them, you're going to see people that you want to emulate, that's what you're expecting. And then you start reading through Genesis, and you come to stories like this, you know, about a guy wasting semen on the ground, and the Lord striking him dead, and you're like, why is the Bible talking about that? That's a strange topic. Why is the pastor talking about that in church? And uh, I wasn't expecting that when I came to church. And, um, and so many people, they start reading, and they're like, I don't get this. This just seems old. And so they stop reading. But what we should be doing is realizing that maybe the purpose of Genesis is not to show us good moral heroes that we're supposed to emulate. Maybe that's not even the point of it. Maybe it wants to teach us something else. And, um, well, I think um, what I'd like to argue is that Genesis is not a story full of good people. But actually, Genesis is a story about, about sinners, people like us whose lives are a mess, whose families are a mess. And it's a story about God's faithfulness to his promise despite their sin despite their failings, that he is persistent, and through his persistence, through his faithfulness, he transforms them. This is what the story of Genesis is about. It's not about our faithfulness, it's not about our morals, it's about God's faithfulness, God's persistence, God's uh, goodness. And um, this story that we're looking at here is actually uh, the story of the conversion of Judah. Judah is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob had 13 kids, uh, 12 12 sons, one daughter, and uh, Judah, you know, many people, the, these last 14 uh, chapters of Genesis, I mentioned last week, ma- most people talk about him as the story of Joseph, and Joseph is the main character in these stories, but actually Judah is a very important story throughout this as well, and many people said, you know, wh- why is this st- story stuck in here? We started talking about Joseph last week, we're going to talk about Joseph n- next week, and for the next couple weeks, why are we talking about Judah here? And why is this story stuck in here? Well, one of the things that I didn't mention last week 
When uh, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, last week we saw Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. They kidnap him and sell him into slavery. Um, Reuben, who's the oldest son, says, you guys, let's not do this. We can't kill our brother. This is a terrible idea. And if you remember what happens, the brothers say, who cares? We're still going to kill him. No one listens to Reuben. But then Judah speaks. And he says, listen, let's not kill him. That's no profit to us. Why don't we sell him into slavery? At least we'll get some money out of that. And what do all the brothers do? They say, yeah, let's do it. Judah is the leader of the brothers. He is the leader of the family. And we're going to see throughout the book of Genesis that he is their spokesman. And so what happens to him as the leader of the family is crucial to this story. And this is the story of his conversion. This is the story where his life transforms. And, uh, and actually, uh, this is a key um, because uh, through him, uh, the whole family is going to transform. And uh, what we see about Judah is that in this story, he realizes how lost he is. He realizes how selfish he is, how self-deceived he is, and ultimately how hard-hearted he is. He realizes these things. He, it is the, his moment of self-reflection to find out who he really is. And it's when he realizes these things that his life is changed forever. And, um, and it's not a happy moment to realize who he is and to realize what's in his heart. And so what we're going to do this morning is I want uh, to look at the question of what is a conversion? How does the Bible say, not how do you be a good person, but how do you transform? How does your life go from being self-centered to being uh, filled with God's faithfulness and God's grace? How does that transformation happen? And here we have a picture. We have a story of it happening to someone in a very odd way. That's very odd to our culture, but it's very powerful. And uh, which I think if you're here today and you say, you know, I, I'm here, I'm, I'm interested in Christianity. I, I don't really know much about church or about the Bible or about Jesus. Let me just say, this is, a good, this is a good passage for you because it talks about how do you become a Christian, basically. And of course, if you're here and you are a Christian, uh, you know, conversion, repentance, the transforming is, is a process that we're going through. It's a lifestyle for us as a Christian. And so, it really, if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, this is really a relevant passage to each one of us. And so what I want to say this morning in particular is three simple pieces that go into conversion, into transformation. Three pieces, and they're this. First, we need to recognize our pride. We're ready for conversion when we recognize the pride in each one of our hearts. We need to recognize our pride. But second, we need to repent of our sin. And third, we need to receive God's grace. This is what transformation looks like. It's very simple. Recognize our pride, repent of our sin, and receive God's grace. And um, it's simple, but it's wonderful, and it's profound. So, first piece to conversion is uh, we need to um, recognize our pride. Um, now, there's a quite a lot to explain in this passage. I, met, I bet at a number of points when I was reading that, you're thinking, huh, that's... What is this about? This is, this is what's happening in this story. Um, but generally speaking, Judah, the main character in this story, is a man that is filled with pride and filled with self-conceit. Uh, He's conceited. 
And uh, one of the things that's important to know about Genesis, if, uh, if you haven't studied Genesis before, you know, Genesis is the book that tells us about the creation of the universe and the world and God created everything. And so we often imagine that Genesis kind of came down floating out of a cloud. Well, the Ten Commandments kind of, you know, were up in a cloud and stuff. They came to us. But the rest of the book, uh, or I guess that's not in Genesis. So Genesis uh, did not... <laughs> Sorry, where am I? I'm lost. All right, gather together here. Okay, but Genesis, uh, Genesis um, is not just a book that came floating out of heaven to us. Genesis was a pastoral um, story that Moses wrote um, to the Israelites after, if you know the story in Exodus, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God delivered them out of Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness, and they were getting ready to go into the promised land of Canaan. And Moses wrote to them Genesis to tell them about how did you get into Egypt, what were God's plans, who are you, to shape their identity. And so we have to remember when we're reading this story, we got a picture, all the Israelites, you know, they're out in the desert and all the kids are in there and they're sitting around and Moses is reading this all to them and they're hearing, and that's the lens that we need to read this story through, is who orig- the original audience. And I'll tell you, that original audience, if they read this, there would be all kinds of red flags going off for them about Judah. All kinds of red flags. Let me show you some of them. First of all, verse 1 says, It happened at that time that Judah went down, from his bro- went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Harah. So first of all, you know, most commentators say that when it says Judah was going down, this is kind of a picture of his spiritual state. His life is going down the tubes, and he's going down, and he's leaving his brothers. And his brothers right now, you know, the church is a, only one family. So the people of God, he's leaving the church, he's leaving that fellowship, he's leaving his family, and, 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 and this is all a picture of him leaving God and saying, I don't, I don't want, the, I'm going to shape my own life. It's this picture of pride. I'm going to be in charge of my own life, I'm going to make my own decisions, and no one else is going to shape me. And and in that, there's a picture of isolation. Isolation from his family, from his church, and from God. Okay? So he's going down. It's looking bad. But then it says this in verse 2. Then Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. Now, a couple of things that the original audience is going to hear about that. They're going to say, okay, first of all, he's marrying a Canaanite. We're not supposed to do that. We're about to go into Canaan. And you're not supposed to marry the Canaanites. Now, when the Bible says that they were not supposed to marry Canaanites, it's not a matter of ethnicity, like there was something wrong with Canaanite ethnicity. The issue was that the Canaanites were of a different religion. They worshipped different gods. And he says, you, if, you know, Judah, you're a Christian. You marry a Christian. <laughs> you marry someone who uh, loves the same God as you, you, you know, or they're going to they're gonna steer you away. And he's saying, I don't care. I'm going to go marry a Canaanite. And, um, um, but that also it says that he saw and he took her. Same two words about Eve when she was in the, in the Garden, Garden of Eden and she, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She wasn't supposed to. She saw it and she took it. And so there's triggers going off. Judah is down, going down a bad path. He's turning away from God. His heart is hardening and he wants his life to be his own, right? And then it says that he has these three sons, uh, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And uh, the first two die. And, um, and there's no sense that Judah was grieving the death of these sons. He didn't care. Actually, because it tells us that he grieved the death of his wife, but he didn't grieve, the, he's just on to the next thing. He didn't care. And um, what's, the picture that's being uh, painted here is of a hard-hearted, conceited man who says, my life is my own. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to make whatever decisions I want. And, it, and that is the spirit of pride. 
And um, now, in a place like Bellingham, this is an important issue. To say that the beginning of conversion is for us to recognize the pride in our own lives is an important thing to say in Bellingham. Because a place like Bellingham, and like in many places in our culture, pride is not a bad thing, right? I mean, aren't I supposed to create my own life? Aren't I supposed to do what I want? Aren't I supposed to follow my passions and make something of my life and not listen to what anyone says, but to follow my dreams no matter what? Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what pride is? Well, you know, in the one hand, there, there's a certain kind of pride that certainly is not, not immoral, you know, wrong. Uh, you know, my, my, I went to my son's soccer game yesterday, and he was out there. He's being aggressive and, getting, you know, getting after the ball. And, you know, I feel this sense of satisfaction and admiration of my son. Is that, is that wrong? No. You know, or if, you, if you're in your work, you feel a sense of satisfaction. I did something well. There's nothing wrong with that. So in the sense that, you know, we, I took pride in my work, or I took pride in my son, there's nothing wrong with that. But when I take those things, my work, uh, you know, uh, my, my wit, my children, and I feel better than other people because of these things. These form my identity. These things mean that I am someone. And so that I have a sense of superiority, that I shape my own life, and no one tells me what to do, there is a hardening that happens in that. And Christians throughout history have always said that of all the sins there are, pride is the most dangerous. It is the most dangerous. And um, as T.S. Eliot put it, most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. Most of the trouble in the world comes by people wanting to be important. When I think my life is my own, I will always do damage. Do damage to others and to myself. And so, um, it's important to think about, okay, Judah is, is a man of pride and conceit. And uh, what does that cause in him? What, is that, what does that result in? What does pride result in us? And uh, there's three things I want to point out real quick. First of all, the, part of the problem with pride is that pride makes us blind to our own faults. When we are driven by pride, we are blind to our own faults. And you see in this story, so Tamar... Uh, Tamar is this Canaanite woman who marries his oldest son. And, uh, and it says that uh, she marries Ur, and then he dies. And then she marries the second son, Onan, and then he also dies. And Moses, who's writing this, makes it very clear that the reason they died is what? They were wicked in the sight of the Lord. Um, and which, by the way, it's not, you know... Uh, the Lord killing people because they're wicked. It's not something that happens all the time in the Bible. Actually, this is the first time it happens. It means they did something really seriously wrong. This is a capital offense that angered God, that he doesn't do this all the time. There's all kinds of wicked people that he lets go on living, but these two, he didn't. It was something serious. And yet, this is, this is what Judah, this is how he responds to his two sons' death. Look at verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Selah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. You see what that's saying? He's like, listen, okay, I know that Tamar married the oldest son, died. Tamar married the second son, died. Tamar, if, he, if she marries the third son, he's probably going to die too. She's cursed. He thinks that she's some uh, cursed woman that uh, if someone marries her, they're just going to die. He's superstitious. And the reality is, that he's a failure as a father. He's raised two wicked sons that are so bad that God had to put them to death. And of course, you know, parenting is the thing that shows us our faults more than anything else. And yet Judah is totally blind to it. 
He is blind to his fault. He's blind to his neglect as a father and in his family and raising them up. You know, he, he took them away from his family. He married, a, 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 you know, an unbelieving uh, wife, and, and now it's affected his children, and he's completely blind to it. Pride makes us blind to our own faults. But also, pride is the second cause, which is even more serious, is that pride makes us despise others. When we're driven by pride, it causes us to despise others, and um, it causes us to look down on other people. Now, you know, I know that some of you, when I read that, you know, this thing about um, Onan, uh, um, you know, that Tamar married Ur, and then she married Onan, and that uh, when, he, when they uh, slept together, that he wasted the semen on the floor. And he said, what, what's all that about? And then the Lord struck him down. What, what's the purpose of all that? And, of course, uh, maybe you've heard that... Uh, uh, Christians have often said, oh, this is the passage where it shows us what God thinks about masturbation and stuff, and God strikes down. No, this has nothing to do with this passage about. What this passage is about is that in the ancient Near East, there was a custom called the Leveret Law. And the Leveret Law was an important um, law about justice for widows. Because um, what, would ha- what the Leveret Law says is that if a woman is married to a man and they, and they live in the same house with, uh, with, the bro- with his brother and, and he dies and she doesn't have any sons, then the brother has to marry her and to give her children. And the reason for this is because the widows were the most um, vulnerable people in ancient society. They had no way to provide for themselves. Um, it was very hard for them to marry. They'd already been married. And, um, and here's a woman who actually was married twice and so, um, and their, their sons were how they got their inheritance. That's how they had land. That's how they had their sustenance, how they could provide for themselves. So it was imperative that a, when a widow's husband died, that she be given sons by the brother. And so um, when Onan was treating her in this way, what he was doing, he was committing a grievous act of injustice. And we know in the Bible that God is a father to the fatherless and a husband to widows. He cares deeply about the weak. And what happens here in this, in this story um, is that not only does Onan not give her sons, but now the two brothers have died and she should be marrying the third brother and Judah doesn't give her a husband. And he says, why don't you go back into your father's house? Which is essentially to say, why don't you go back to your father's house? You're never going to have a husband. You're worthless. You're not worth anything. And I don't care what happens to the rest of your life. I don't care if, uh, if anyone provides for you. This is a deeply wicked act, a hard-hearted act. And so pride not only causes us to be blind to our own faults, but it also causes us to despise others. And then this is the third thing about pride, is that pride also makes us ultimately into hypocrites. And this is what happens with, uh, with uh, Judah. So this is how the story goes. Judah, so Judah has not, has not given his third son to Tamar. And so Tamar is out of luck. She's, she is, her, her life is falling apart. And actually, we think that she's probably become a Christian in, this, in, this, uh, in the course of meeting this family. Even though this family's a wreck, I think she's realized that their God is with this family. And so I've got to have these children because the promises of God come through these children. So I have to find a way to have these children. So she comes up with this plan. And uh, Judah, uh, after his wife dies, he goes up to, the, to the, where the, um, his uh, where the sheep shearers are, are doing their sheep shearing. And uh, in what we know from ancient cultures is that when people went up uh, to do the sheep shearing, this was kind of a, a party time, you know, so everyone's getting drunk, they're drinking, they're feasting, they're, uh, you know, whatever's happening. And so uh, Judah goes up to, have, you know, have a good time with the, the sheep shearers. And so 
And Tamar hears about this, and so she dressed up like a prostitute. And she goes along the road where he's going to be walking by. She knows he's kind of liquored up. He's kind of, he's like, okay, it's the end of the night. He's looking for some action. And so she, she comes up like a prostitute. And he propositions her. He says, hey, let me, let me, let's go do our thing, and I'll give you a goat for it. And she's like, okay, you got a goat with you? He's like, oh, I don't got, I'm good on the goat. I'll, I'll make good on it. I promise I'll get you the goat. And she says, well, give me your signet and your cord and your staff which in an ancient culture is basically saying, give me your wallet, your credit card, and your driver's license. And I'll hold on to those <laughs> until you get me the goat. And so she holds on to them. And, uh, and then uh, they, uh, they go into their tent, and then this is what it says in verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. This terrible statement. He's the one who's going with the prostitutes. He's the one who's been a failure as a father. And as soon as there's just even a hint that Tamar has failed morally, he jumps all over it. It's almost gleeful. Finally, this woman who's been a curse to my family, we can put her to death. And there's this joy in this self-righteousness. And this is, the, this is pride at its very worst, is this hypocritical show of righteousness that I want to keep God's law and I want to put this adulterous woman to death. And um, what this story is telling us in all this, what is the point of all this story? Why is it painting all this stuff about Judah and his pride and that he doesn't, he's, he's blind to his, fault, his own faults and, um, and he's despising and is inju- unjust and he's hypocritical is because until we see the pride that is in each one of our hearts, we are not ready to experience God's grace. We need to recognize the pride that is in each of our hearts. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a famous chapter called The Great Sin. In, uh, and actually, it's on page three of your bulletin if you want to open up and, uh, and read this quote. C.S. Lewis, uh, in Mere Christianity, his, his mo- probably most well-known Christian work, he has a chapter on pride called The Great Sin. And this is what he says. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You can't move into wonder. You can't move into gratitude as long as pride is in your heart because you're always looking down on people. And so the beginning of conversion is to recognize um, how deeply pride is within each one of us. And of course, this is what happens with Judah. This is why I love this story. It's not all that stuff that happened uh, that I love that story. But this is what happens with Judah. Look, um, um, after... He accuses Tamar, let's burn her. Verse 25, as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them. His wallet, his driver's license, his credit card, he said, it's me. They were a mirror to him. They showed him that he was a fraud. His whole life was a fraud. 
and he saw how much pride was uh, driving his life, and it was ruining his life. And at that moment, even though that was crushing, even though that brought him down and the discouragement of that, it was in that moment that his life began to change, that God's grace began to work in his life. But there's something more to not just recognizing that we have proud hearts, that all of us have proud hearts. Conversion goes on, has another piece to it. And the second piece is this. First, we recognize our pride, but second, we must repent of our sin. Repentance is, the, is at the center of Christian transformation. And um, I know that for many of us, when we hear that word repent, you know, it sounds like a heavy word. It sounds like, you know, the pastor's beating up on me. He's telling me to repent again. It feels like, oh, I got all these problems. And, uh, you know, I think as we look at a story, uh, one of the things that I love about this passage is that um, in the last uh, chapter, Judah has just sold his brother into slavery. Then uh, he's married a non-Christian woman, bad decision. He's left the church. He's left, you know, left his Christian community. He's by himself. He's, uh, um, he's uh, married someone he shouldn't. He's failed as a father. Both his sons have been struck dead because they're wicked. And then he does this foolish thing with this, uh, this prostitute who turns out to be his daughter-in-law. And then, um, and then he does this act of hypocrisy and says she should be burned. And you just say, this man, gosh repentance, how much repenting is he going to have to do? That's going to be a lot of work. I mean, you know, kidnapping your brother and selling him into slavery is terrible. And you just feel like there's going to be loads and loads and loads of repenting that needs to happen. But it turns out that Judah's transformation is a verse. It happens in one verse. It's so simple. It's, it almost feels light. It, but it's honest. It is short, it is simple, but it's honest. And his life is forever changed in this one verse. This is what it says in verse 26. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son, Shelah, and he did not know her again. And what we see in Judah's act of repentance, this is his act of repentance, we see a couple things. Is We see first a, um, a, a confession and also a desire for change, right? So you see first the confession, that he names the sin that he's done. He, uh, he says, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son, Shelah. So he understands, I've been acting unjustly, I've been treating her terribly, I've despised her, I've wanted her dead, I've wanted her out of my family, and I realize how I've, how I've treated her. And then he's, and it's an amazing statement, though. He says about this Canaanite woman, a woman who dressed up like a prostitute and tricked him into sleeping with her when he was drunk, he says, she is more moral. She is more righteous than I am. I am worse than her. And um, compared to me, she is righteous. And this is the thing. This is the difference between pride and repentance. Pride looks at other people's sins, and it makes us feel superior to them. I look at other people saying, oh, I'm, uh, at least I don't have that sin. At least I'm not like that person. And so it makes me feel better than them. And I use it as an opportunity to build up my pride. But what repentance does is it sees other people's sins and say, I'm even worse. I look at my own heart, I'm even darker, I'm even blacker. And it uses other people's sins as an opportunity to repent and to turn towards God. And um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, who was uh, one of the greatest uh, minds in uh, colonial America, he was... Uh, became the, the uh, president of uh, Princeton University. Um, 
Uh, during his life, he was a pastor. He wrote many works on theology. Um, when he was 19 years old, he wrote uh, a number of resolutions about his life. And I printed also, if you turn to your bulletin one more time, sorry. Um, he had these resolutions about his life and the way he wanted to live his life. And this is one of the resolutions that he said. Resolved to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I. And as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others. And that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and pro prove only an occasion for my confessing my own sins in misery to God. That's a powerful statement. But basically what he's saying is when I see other people's sins, it is an invitation to God for me to, to expose my own life, to be a mirror to me. And that's, what, that's exactly what Judah said, is she is more righteous than I. But Judah's confession is followed with this statement. And he did not know her again. Here's a sexually immoral man and um, you see in him a desire to change. This is the second part of repentance. It's not just confession. It's not just admitting what's in my heart, but it's also a desire for change. And, um, and um, what that means is that if we really see our pride and we really confess, there's going to be a desire in us to be transformed, that we're going to be freed from the sin that's in our life. But one of the problems with that is that resolutions, you know, when we say, I'm, gosh, my last mess, this, this is a problem, I've got, I'm, I've been a bad father, I've got sexual immorality in my life, I've got all these things, I've been, I've separate, isolated myself from my Christian community, what am I going to do? When we set resolutions and say, well, I'm resolved, my life's going to be different from this moment forward, resolutions don't work. They simply don't. And many of us have experienced that, where we've made resolutions and then and we hold on for two weeks or maybe six weeks, maybe six months, and then they seem to fall apart. And so even though it's necessary that we have a desire for change, that we confess our sin, a desire for change, something deeper needs to happen in us, a deeper transformation. And this actually happens with Judah. And I want to show you one of the, most, the things that is most amazing about this story is that when Judah goes to the prostitute and propositions her. He said, hey, I'll give you a goat for us to go into the tent together, right? This is how their little exchange goes. Look at verse 16 again. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, uh, let, us come, uh, let me come into you, for he, did, uh, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. Now that word pledge appears only one other time in the book of Genesis. And it happens to be on the mouth of Judah. Because what happens in the story is we're going to read is that Judah and his brothers, uh, uh, Joseph, becomes the prince of Egypt. And he's kind of the ruler of all of Egypt, right under Pharaoh. And his brothers come to him, and they're wanting food, and they're saying, there's this famine, and they're saying, help us. But they don't know it's Joseph. And Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery, uh, wants to find out, have my brothers changed? Has a transformation happened in them? And so he sets up this thing where he says that the brothers, he, 
you know, he kind of tricks them and basically says that all the brothers are going to have to go back to their father and bring their father back, but they're going to have to leave their youngest brother, Benjamin. They're going to have to abandon their youngest brother, uh, Benjamin. And so he's saying, listen, you abandoned me. Have you changed? Are you going to abandon your youngest brother, Benjamin, now? And what happens is that Judah, the leader of the brothers, stands up and he gives a speech. And we see the new Judah. And this is what he says in this chapter 44. For your servants, so he's saying, you can't, I can't leave my brother here. Yet my father loves him. And this is what he says. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. Saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. Judah, the one who sold his brother into slavery, now becomes the one who says, let me stay in his place. Let me be the one who is abandoned for him and let him go free. Something radical has transformed from the conceited, selfish, kidnapping, slave trading, um, uh, drunken, sexually immoral Judah to the selfless, tender-hearted Judah who wants to rescue his brother. What happened? That was more than a resolution. That was more than him saying, I'm going to be a new person. Something deeper happened. And this is the third and most important thing that has to happen in a conversion. It is not just uh, that we recognize our pride and we receive, and, and receive God's, uh, and, and, uh, and repent of our sin, but last, we need to receive God's grace. And this is what happens to Judah. In his one sentence of repentance, what happens? God is gracious to him. And I know I've read a lot of this passage. One, one last thing, verse 27. Let me explain this. When the time of her labor came, so he says, she's more righteous than I. I don't, I, I don't deserve anything from God's hand. And then verse 27, when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And for Judah, Judah's dad was a twin. Judah's dad was the son of promise. And Judah's dad wrestled with his brother in the womb. This is going to be a signal to him. God is doing something. I have twins. And also, two of Judah's sons died at the beginning of the passage. Now his two sons are being restored. Two sons are being restored to him. He has twins. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife uh, uh, took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, "This one came out first. But as she drew back his hand, his hand, um, behold, his brother came out, and she said, "What a breach you have made for yourself." Therefore, his name was called Perez." Um, and this is the thing, is that uh, Judah, who, uh, the, Judah the, sla- the, the, the sinful, prideful, conceited man, he simply repents. And God restores his sons, and this Perez turns out to be the son of promise. And God's promise to him is not compromised because of his sin. I mean, look at that pile of sin that I've lift- listed. And you think of your pile of sin. And you think of the work, it's like, man, to repent of all that, how much work is that going to be? It's a sentence. It's a verse. As we turn to God, but we must receive his grace. And that even our sin does not compromise the persistence of God's promise. 
And it turns out that through this Perez, if you've ever read uh, the, the New Testament, started to read the New Testament, the beginning of Matthew, there is a uh, genealogy. And in that genealogy, there are five women named. One of them is Tamar, one of the mothers of Jesus, this Tamar. And her son, Perez, becomes uh, the line of Jesus, to whom Jesus comes, who is then called in Revelation, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This man who has all these sins and yet God is faithful to him and transforms him and he becomes uh, the leading tribe. This is what Christianity is about. This is what the gospel is about. Is that our sin is so piled up and I know as I, I talked about all the pride and I talked about repenting and confessing all those things, all of us, we feel this weight on us of yeah, I see it all over my life. And yet God gently invites us, name your sin, desire to change, and there's grace for you. There's new life. I will not treat you, regard you according to your sin, but according to my steadfast love and faithfulness to you in Christ. And that was true for Judah, and that's true for us. So let me just say, uh, if you're here today and you say, how does new life come in? How do I become a loving person? How do I become a joyful person? How do I become a serving and compassionate and kind person? How do these things happen? How do I love God? It's not by resolutions and trying harder. It's by opening your heart to the grace of God, which is free to you in Christ. And we just receive that by faith. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for these uh, rich, complex passages that show us of of sinners being rescued by your kindness and grace. Would you give us hearts to recognize the pride that is in each one of us, to name it, to turn away from it, and to receive the free grace that is in Christ. We thank you that you are a good God and uh, that we can rest in your promise. And we pray this in Jesus' name.